reading this evening, do feel free to follow along on your device or your old-fashioned Bible in the pew. Um, we're in John chapter 2, which in the pew Bible is on page 1064. So that's John chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet started, tasted the water that had been drawn, turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, uh, everybody brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you. And um, if we've not met before, maybe you might be new. I'd love to meet you. Please do come and say hello to me after the service. Uh, and this evening, we are um, uh, the second uh, of our new series, looking through John's Gospel. And uh, will you pray with me before we dive in and look at this, this passage? Now, Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for these passages uh, written in the Gospels that, that show us you and um, just point us to what you're like. And as we look at this, this uh, story and look at what you did, would you, would you send your spirit that we would understand more of you and draw closer to you this evening? Amen. Wonderful. Well, um, a number of years ago, uh, I got to go on a trip to Zambia, and that was great. And as part of that trip, I uh, went to go and visit a friend who'd been living out there, had been working out there during that time. And when I was visiting him, he, he thought he would take me for a bit of a treat. And so he took me to go and see uh, the Victoria Falls. And I don't know whether you have ever seen or been to the Victoria Falls 
but they are absolutely magnificent, absolutely extraordinary. Um, the Zambezi River is uh, the fourth biggest in Africa, and at the place of the falls, it spreads out nearly a mile wide before it falls over this uh, massive canyon into a gorge. Uh, it, it runs for a whole mile across, and the, the, it drops down a 100-meter drop, and you can walk along the other side of the gorge, and the wind generated by the falls is so, so strong that it actually blows water back up 100 meters the other side and onto you as you stand on the other side of the gorge. It's absolutely extraordinary. So I went with my friend to see this amazing site, and then we, uh, afterwards, you know, we walked across that bridge. You can see it's actually a bridge that links Zimbabwe and Zambia. And as we were walking across the, the bridge, we got towards the middle, and I saw, slightly to my, uh, made me quite nervous, I saw that they were offering bungee jumps from the center of the bridge. And, you know, as we came close, I realized, wait, there's, there's no queue. Um, they're just, you can just walk up. They want to clip you up and just throw you off. They're ready to go. So as I was approaching, uh, as I was approaching uh, this, I was getting rather nervous. Thing. I mean, it's an extraordinary opportunity, right? I mean, there's this, you know, there's a waterfall on one side, there's a gorge on the other, there's a river below, 100 meter drop. Ah, what an opportunity. And then, oh, I got relaxed, I was more relaxed. I saw it was super expensive. It was like $100. There was no way I was going to pay that to jump off a cliff. Um, and then, to my horror, my friend turned to me and said, do you want to do it? If you do, I'll pay for it. I thought, oh no, my excuse is gone, and now I have to make a decision. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'll never be here again. Do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, no. And I spent the rest of my trip wondering, why did I say no? Was that the wrong decision? I don't know. Why did I say no? And it's funny, isn't it? Why did I say no? I think it was because, in the end, I, I just had this expectation. I had this thought that I wouldn't enjoy it. I guess I just thought like, it, it wouldn't be a good experience, and so even though it was amazing, I, I, d I didn't want to jump. And I guess the point I'm trying to make and the point I'm trying to start with is this. Sometimes we say no to amazing invitations, amazing opportunities, because we have an expectation. We have the expectation that it won't be a good experience. We have the expectation that we won't enjoy it. It won't bring life to us. And so we pass up amazing invitations. And at the start of John's Gospel here, um, the chapter one of John's Gospel is an amazing invitation being laid out for us. And that's what we were looking at last week. This extraordinary invitation to come and see, to come close to Jesus. And we're told in chapter one some amazing things about who this person is, extraordinary things. That we're told that he's the God's chosen one. We're told that he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. He is the place. He's the person in which heaven and earth meet. It's an extraordinary opportunity to come and see, come and live, come and let him into your life. And yet, so often you and I, in, in little ways or in big ways, choose to pass on that invitation. Not necessarily because we don't believe the invitation. We don't believe who Jesus is, not necessarily because we don't recognize it's an extraordinary thing and a privilege that's in front of us, but very often because in one way or another, sometimes deep down unconsciously, our expectation is that we don't think it'll be a good experience. 
our view of God is such that we, we worry that if God comes closer to us, if he gets more involved in our life, if we, if we come close to Jesus, that actually our lives might get worse rather than better. And so for one reason or another, we pass on this amazing invitation. Well, the rest of John's gospel, he's trying to help us out. He's issued this amazing uh, invitation, chapter 1. And then through the rest of his gospel, he, 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 he gives us um, a number of what he calls signs. And these are actually just, what I mean by that is carefully chosen episodes from the life of Jesus that reveal to us something of who he is, what God is like, and what it would look like if God got involved in our lives. And he's trying to help us with that expectation, he's trying to help us to see what it would mean to say yes to this invitation. And the very first sign we're told, the very first thing that story that Jesus, uh, that John wants to pick out about Jesus, is this amazing story of, of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. And it's an amazing story to look at because it gets right, I think, to the heart of this worry that we so often have about what God will do if he comes close. Because I think the core message at the heart of this passage is that our God is a good God and that he wants to bring abundant life into our lives. He's a good God and he wants to bring life to us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this passage. I'm just going to pick out four very brief things, all of which point us to this bigger picture of the goodness of God and what, what he'll do if he comes into our life. So four quick things. First thing we see in this passage um, is that Jesus turns scarcity into abundance. He turns scarcity into abundance. This uh, miracle that's recorded here is prompted by a lack. They don't have enough. There's a wedding happening, and Mary notices that they have just run out of wine. Now, um, at my wedding a number of years ago, uh, there was a point uh, towards the end, maybe just an hour from the end, that we were a little bit worried that we might run out of wine. But it was no big deal. I mean, first of all, we were only an hour from the end. We didn't have that many guests. I think we had 150 guests there. Uh, there were lots of other nice things to drink. And you know what? We were probably like five minutes away from an off-license. So, you know, we could have just popped down. Not the end of the world. But here, they, ha they have a much bigger problem. A much bigger problem. First of all, there were probably a lot more people at this wedding. I mean, we're told that Jesus and his disciples are there. Um, so this is a kind of... Friends of friends are invited to this, this, uh, this wedding. You know, uh, uh, it's probably the whole village. It's probably the surrounding villages. The whole region is here. It's a lot of people. And second of all, um, uh, you know, um, they, they probably weren't just an hour from the end of this wedding. Uh, so a Jewish wedding festival at that time probably took, well, usually took seven days. That is quite a party. And so, you know, if they're running out, you know, halfway through this, they've got a, that's a bit of a problem. And, and on top of that, you know, wine was kind of important for these kinds of festivals. In fact, the Jewish word for um, uh, uh, wedding festival can also be translated drinking festival. 
You know, it's really important. These were great uh, things for the whole community. They were uh, amazing. So if you're running out of wine, uh, there is not an off license to pop down to. You are in trouble. They have run out of wine. Now, here is what's so fascinating to me. Okay, Mary hears about this lack. She hears they're running out. And her first response is to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, over to you. Isn't this something you're going to deal with? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? You know, um, he doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, know the person who's getting married that well. Um, you know, he's not responsible for running this party. I mean, where is he going to get all this wine anyway? You know, what's going on here? Her first reaction is to turn to Jesus and say, over to you. What does she know about Jesus, about his character, about who he is that we don't yet know? Why does she expect that this is something that he wants to get involved in? Well, Mary knows that her son is also the son of God. And the God that she knows is, is the God who provides. One of the names that God gives for himself in the Old Testament, one of the titles he gives himself is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And the Old Testament is full of stories of God providing when his people needed it most. Um, the stories of manna in the wilderness, water from the rock, uh, uh, oil for the widow, uh, food for Elisha when he was starving. Again and again, our God is a God who provides for his people. And Mary knows this. And so she turns to Jesus and she says, there's a lack over to you. And she's not disappointed. She's not disappointed. In fact, Jesus provides in abundance. In abundance. Um, helpfully, the NIV has translated those uh, sort of uh, figures for us into modern day figures. And it's, it tells us that each of those six jars was around 100 liters they could hold. So I've done a bit of the maths for you. And that is roughly 1,000 bottles of wine. 1,000 bottles of wine. Have you ever seen... A thousand bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. Here is a picture of what I've done a rough calculation is roughly a thousand bottles of wine. That is a lot of wine. That is provision in abundance. We can take that down before someone counts them. And Jesus provides. He turns scarcity into abundance. Isn't that the kind of God you want more involved in your life? I certainly do. The next thing we see is that Jesus turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. He turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Um, for a bit of fun, uh, for my wife and I's anniversary a few months ago, we decided to do something different rather than just go for a meal. So we decided to sign up for a, a wine tasting evening at Cambridge Wine Merchants. Um, I love wine, but I don't know very much about it. So this is going to be interesting. Accidentally, though, I just picked the date and I didn't look at what was actually being put on. And I accidentally signed up for a masterclass in wine tasting. There are like multiple levels. This was the top one. And when we got there, it turns out that they had flown this chief winemaker who uh, was the chief winemaker of an award-winning vineyard from Australia all the way here. And it was a two-and-a-half-hour monologue. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed the wine. Amazing wine. This guy obviously knew what he was doing because it was amazing wine. I didn't understand a word he was saying about soils and about climates. It was, it was extraordinary. 
Well, Jesus is the master winemaker. You think about it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who made the soil. He is the one who made vines. Like he, he had everything at his disposal. He knows all things and all time. Here's a question that's always just kind of niggled me as, as I've read this story in the past. If you were God and you were going to create a whole load of wine, what wine would you make? What wine would you make? I've always wondered, was this Jesus' signature blend? You know, like at the bottom of the jars, did he just sign his name, chief winemaker, Jesus? Don't know. Or, or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe through the Spirit, he, had, you know, he knew all vintages of all, of all time, and he just picked his favorite wine that's ever been made. That's a possibility. Maybe for one night only in Galilee, they were drinking just the finest year of Amer- Australian Shiraz. Or maybe Bordeaux, or probably something from my homeland, something from Stellenbosch in South Africa. Undoubtedly, that's what he would have gone for. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know, what is told to us in this story, is that whatever it was, it was extraordinary wine. And I just find it interesting here. Jesus, Jesus gets the servants to pour plain water into these jars. And from, the, from those, he transforms it, and out of it comes the most extraordinary wine. So amazing that when the, the chief steward or the, the, the master of the ceremony tastes it, the first thing he goes is, wow, this is amazing wine. We haven't had anything like this so far. This is the best. He turns something ordinary into something extraordinary. And I love that. I love that Jesus doesn't just see a lack and make just enough wine for everyone and kind of, yeah, you know, keep it cheap, house red. He's like, whoa, I'm going to just go for it. And he makes the most extraordinary wine. He's blessing them. He's blessing them. And I also just think it's a picture for us, again, of something we see throughout the Scriptures again and again, that God loves to take the ordinary and break in, transform it into the extraordinary. He loves to take ordinary people like you and me. And when we surrender our lives to him, by his Spirit, he, he wants to do extraordinary things through us. He loves to take ordinary moments in our days And when we give them to him, break in and and, and do amazing things. This is is God at his his best. He's turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. Don't you want a God like that more involved in your life? The third thing we see is he turns ritual into relationship. He turns ritual into relationship. Uh, Another little question that I've always had in the back of my mind with this passage is, why did Jesus have to turn water into wine? Why didn't he just, you know, make it out of nothing? Why did he have these servants lug hundreds of liters of water and fill up these jars? I mean, presumably he could have just, maybe he could even have just filled all the empty wine jars or, or, or skins there. I don't know. Why did, he, why did he make them fill these jars? Well, um, it's probably because there's something important about the fact that it's these jars that the miracle happens in. And in fact, uh, John seems to make a point of telling us that these are jars used for ceremonial washing, for, 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 for cleansing in the, uh, part of the Old Testament laws so that they could be clean before God and clean before each other. There's something, probably something really important about that. At minimum, what we see, at minimum, what we see is that Jesus values uh, this party, values the people at it, values the relationship, values what's going on here 
um, over or enough to at least temporarily suspend the, the ritual washing. I mean, you can't use those jars for, for ritual washing if they're full of wine, right? <laughs> I mean, they, 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 um, they're probably empty. We're told they're empty because they've been used. So most people have washed, but still, some people would have been really annoyed at that. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That, that's really important. But he's choosing to value people right there. But there's probably something deeper going on here too. One of the main themes of John's gospel is that Jesus has come to fulfill all that God, all the rites and rituals that God gave his people in the Old Testament. All the rites and rituals given to them uh, in the law were given so that a holy God could come and dwell with his people. And with Jesus arriving on the scene, one of the things John points out is he's the fulfillment of that. So he, in the next just section, or chapter 2, we see that he is, the, he is the temple. And then later on, we see he's the bread of life. And then we see he's the water from the rock. And then we see he, he is the Passover lamb. And he's fulfilling all of these things. And so probably here in this first sign, we're just getting the, the, the beginning taste of this theme. And it's, it's, it's as if he's fulfilling it. It's as if what's being said is the time for ritual washing is passing away. Because here in Jesus, God is, is among his people. I mean, quite literally, God has come to the party. God is here celebrating. He's, he's rejoicing. He's with people. That's what it's all about. But then also, Jesus is the one who is going to make his people clean. He's the way he's going to fill this. He's here. He's both of these things. And, and, and it's, it's all, all of this ritual, all of this, it's about relationship and it's come. He is turning ritual into relationship because he loves us and he, he values relationship. Isn't that the kind of God you want more of in your life? And finally, the final thing I want to pick up is that he turns dishonor into honor. He turns dishonor into honor. I wonder, have you ever been at a party that's been remembered for all the wrong reasons? Maybe it's the kind of party you've just talked about for years, about, hey, do you remember that, do you remember that party? Well, um, many years ago, when I was a student, I got invited uh, you know, over kind of Christmas to, with a bunch of our friends. We went to uh, another of our friends' house for a New Year's Eve party. And it was a great party, lots of fun. And it was later on in the evening, we were sitting around in the front room. And it was getting a bit quiet. I think we were playing Articulate or something like that. Uh, when one of my friends leaned back a bit too far, and his shirt, the back of his shirt, caught fire on a candle. And um, so suddenly he leapt up, screaming, uh, uh, shouting. And the flames were like going up his back like really, really quickly. Now, as a bit of an aside, I found it fascinating. This was obviously, there was panic, but only two people in the room reacted. I jumped up and tried to help, and one other person reacted by taking out their phone and starting to take pictures. So <laughs> what does that say about society today? I don't know. Anyway, uh, there are pictures of this. Anyway, so this guy is shouting, screaming, and I'm grabbing his shirt, and I'm trying to lift it off his back while he's trying to take, like, rip the buttons off so he can get it off. And so, it, you know... And then a couple of people start shouting, drop and roll, drop and roll, you know, as in like, you know, stop, drop and roll to put it out. At which point the host of the party shouts, don't roll on the rug, it's Persian. 
<laughs> Don't roll on the rug, it's Persian. And, uh, and anyway, it all ended okay, some very light burns, but um, more of a memory than anything else. But this, 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 this party went down as one that was remembered for all the wrong reasons. And, and more than that, I think, you know, the, the host of this party was actually deeply embarrassed and ashamed. Because, um, partly because we never let him li live it down. But, you know, in that moment of panic, all the wrong things came out, you know, and he really was saying, save the rug, you can burn. And he, he, was, he was so ashamed, actually, of his reaction after that. Well, that is just a tiny, tiny picture of, of the kind of dishonor, the kind of, this is going to be a part that party that's remembered for all the wrong reasons, um, that, that the bridegroom of this wedding is probably facing here in, uh, in Galilee. Um, the bridegroom would have been responsible for making sure that there was enough provision for this party, and especially the wine. And he has seriously messed up. Something's gone wrong. He's either completely miscalculated, or maybe he has completely run out of resources, which would have been embarrassing, or maybe he's been a bit stingy. Whatever it is, in that kind of hospitality culture, this would have been a really big deal. This would have been talked about for years afterwards. He might never have lived down the shame. It could have gone on to define him in that community for many, many years. And so here we have this bridegroom. He's facing dishonor. And yet, what do we actually see he receives? In the end, he actually receives honor. He receives honor. The, 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 the chief steward of, of the whole thing, you know, comes and says to him, maybe in front of some other people, like, wow, this is amazing. You know, like, your provision of wine, the quality is so good, it's so much. This, your provision is fantastic. And I'm sure that all of the guests went away from this going, oh, my word, best party ever. You know, and all the great wine came out halfway through, and we had such a good time. This guy's so generous. It's interesting, isn't it? He deserved dishonor. And actually, he was honored. And of course, we know, we know, and, and the servants knew that actually the honor was Jesus. It's actually on a Jesus who provided in abundance and covered this mess. And that is just so like our God. It's so like our God. You know, we are like the bridegroom in this story. You know, we, we have failed. We, we have miscalculated. We, uh, we, we've not We've been stingy. We've had duties to fulfill and not fulfilled them. And yet, you know, when Jesus invites us to come close to him, invites us to trust him, there's an amazing thing that happened. He, he doesn't just want to get in our, involved in our lives just to, to deal with the mess. Like, come, he not only comes to provide and to cover over and to prevent the disaster, but he does something even deeper. He, 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 he exchanges our dishonor for his honor. And he shares his glory with us. That's an extraordinary thing. I was reading just this week through, as I was reading through the New Testament in my morning studies, and I came across this verse in 2 Thessalonians, and it reminded me of this. This is what it says there. Paul writes, God called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's called you to himself that you might share in the glory that's really due to Jesus for everything he's done. What an amazing God. He doesn't just sort us out and then rub our noses in it. He's come to share. He swaps our dishonor for his honor. 
Isn't that the kind of God you want more of in your life? Friends, it's so important that we keep the right view of what God is like in our minds. So important that we know who he really, really is. Because if we let fear of what we think he might be like, if we set out, let our expectations of, of what he's like um, set the agenda, we are in danger of saying no to the most amazing invitation to come close, to let him be involved in our lives. For some of us here, it might be in, in a big way. Maybe some of us here have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. And you might put your hand up and say, you know what, actually... I think I do believe. I think I do believe these things about Jesus. And actually, I can see that this is really important and it's a great privilege. But, you know, really, if I'm honest at my heart of hearts, I just don't think it's worth it. I just, at the end of the day, I'm afraid that if I follow Jesus, my life's going to get worse rather than better. And John puts this right, this, this first sign he wants to share with us. He wants to show us that our God is a good God and he wants to bring abundant life. For others of us, it's it's more in the everyday. It's in the small things that we pass up on Jesus' invitation to come close. If you're anything like me over Christmas, maybe at some point you found you'd got a bit out of routine and lots of people around maybe and there's lots of fun things to do and you know, a few days pass by and then, and then you really, you've got this gap in the day and you suddenly realize, wait, I've got a moment to take myself away and refocus on God. Maybe spend a bit of time with God. Maybe go for a walk and just invite him to come back into everything. And, and we've got, got this moment. And, and, and you know that moment. <laughs> and you've got a decision. And are you going to do that? Are you gonna... And it's so often, like, we pass. And instead we go and watch another Netflix Disney film or whatever it is. And that doesn't exist, Netflix Disney film. We buy, um, we grab another mince pie. We do something else. And that's not the end of the world, but what's actually going on in our hearts? What's going on in those small moments when we pass up the invitation to come close to Jesus? Something in us, whether we realize it or not, thinks, my life will be better. My life will be fuller if I do this other thing. I'm not sure it's worth it to come close and take, take Jesus up in this small way to draw close to him. If we had a higher view of who he is and the abundance he wants to bring us, we we would be quicker, wouldn't we, to say yes to those invitations. And then for others of us, and this one has really been on my heart, I think some of us sometimes, we've just taken so many knocks in life. We just feel that one thing after another has just come our way. It just feels like it's been incessant. Maybe we've, we, we just feel so much has been taken from us. Or, or we feel it's been so many unanswered prayers that, Slowly but surely, we get to the point where we, if we're honest, we struggle to believe that God is good. We struggle to believe that he wants to bring life to us. And we read into our situations, we think that must be what God, maybe God's out to get me. Maybe God doesn't care. And when we begin to think that way, we begin to shrink back from God. We think if that's what he's like, I'm not sure I want him in my life more than he is already. This is why this passage is so important. This is why I think Paul, um, uh, John puts it right up front. He's saying how God is a good God and he wants to bring us abundant life. And that is actually something that Jesus himself says later in this gospel. He says, I have come to bring life and life in abundance. Of course, um, being a Christian and following Jesus doesn't make us immune 
to difficulties in life. It doesn't make us immune to scarcity or to the ordinary or even to dishonor. We, we know that's not true. And we need a bigger picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. There are other signs of what, uh, what God is doing in John's gospel. And actually, the final and the greatest sign of heaven meeting earth uh, in John's gospel is the cross. It is Jesus dying in agony for us. And, and we see throughout John's gospel that, that Jesus is calling those who follow him to follow him to the cross. To go on that costly journey. And following Jesus is costly and, and, and it has many twists and turns. But God is still good. But God is still good. Even on the cross, Jesus is there because he loves you and because he wants to bring you life. And the extraordinary things we find is as we follow Jesus on that road to the cross, through the costly things, through the ups, through the downs, as we lay down our lives for him, we discover he's laying his life down for us. As we follow him on that path that often, so often leads through the valley of the shadow of death, we find it's actually, extraordinarily, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the path to life. We find that as he takes us through times of scarcity and we bring them to him, in big ways and in small, he provides. We see his provision. As we go through the ordinary, which we all go through, you know, the day at the office, the walk here to there, and we invite God in, he breaks in. He does little things sometimes that just uses them for extraordinary things. We find that, you know, as we, uh, we come to him with all the kind of ritual of trying to kind of worship and all that, we find a God at the heart of that who loves us, who wants to, above all things, draw us to himself. And we find a God who's exchanging all the way our dishonor, our brokenness, our mess for his honor, who's forgiving us and restoring us and transforming us in glory. This is the kind of God he is. He's a good God. You need to know that. You need to hear that again. He's a good God, and he wants to bring abundant life to you. We need to be praying that we remember that, we hold on to that. This is the kind of God we want more of in our life. And if we remember it, we'll both be, we'll all be quicker to say yes next time that little invitation comes to draw close to him. So I'm just going to pray quickly and then Lila is going to lead us. Lord Jesus, help us to see your goodness. And draw us closer to you, we pray. Amen.